All right. <laughs> I can't believe the bullshit. <laughs> and I was on like 15 minutes early. I'm downloading my stuff, and then it's, all this crap starts happening. I'm like, really? You know, you just sound, when you said, I can't believe the bullshit, you sound just like that actor. Which one? In Stranger Things. The guy who plays <laughs> Hopper. Okay. Okay. No, you did like your vocal intonation and everything. You should watch that. Oh, my <laughs> God. Everybody says that. I've never tried it. Yeah, because I, I think I think when I tried to get you into it like years ago, you're like, oh, it's a kid's thing. Oh, yeah. it's this and that. And it's not. It's so fucking twisted. <laughs> and then they were off for three years because, you know, because of COVID, they had to shoot some, go go down and, and uh, go back up. Yep. And then they, they had to deal with so much stuff. But, uh, yeah, for a minute, it was like, oh, shit, you sound like that guy. <laughs> Who lost 80 pounds for the role? Nice. No, he was like a big guy mm-hmm. in the first three, uh, first three seasons. And he ended up in Russia in a fucking, you know, Gulag prison camp and in real right. life? No, in the movie. Oh, in the movie. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what? It was like but, a Britney Griner thing. <laughs> yeah, but he showed the stuff on on uh, Facebook and Instagram. You know, it was like so difficult to lose that much weight and be healthy. Of course. And uh, I was like, holy shit! And now like he says it's so good. Like our last day, I ordered lasagna. <laughs> but now, now they have to, you know, they're going to do a season five, which is the last. Right. Which I assume they want to start shooting soon. They want, they don't want to be off the air for for a while, long time again. Yeah. Um. Uh. He's like, damn, we got to lose a little bit of weight. <laughs> wow. You. Said, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You ready? Let's let's dive in. Go ahead. Let's do this. <laughs> We'll be talking satanic cult films of the 70s. Only here on Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. of the 11th season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. Tonight, as I had mentioned, we'll be talking satanic cult films, particularly those of the 70s. This was the time marked by the rise and fall of the hippie movement, which really took the world by storm with the Summer of Love in 1966, largely inspired by both the early socially relevant Bob Dylan stateside and the huge influence of the Beatles on both music and culture out of the UK. Rejecting traditional mores and established religion, these young rebels experimented with mind-altering substances and free-love sexuality, further exploring alternative religions and New Age spirituality, often enough landing on some spectrum of the occult. 
but all the earlier focus on Woodstock's peace, love, and music, sitting with the guru and heading cross-country to find the real America, was subverted by an ugly, violent response from uptight conservative forces, from Nixon's troops on down, Kent State to the backwards cracker types that they found in the South and Midwest, who hated everything they stood for. Or as Jack Nicholson put it in Easy Rider, oh, they're not scared of you, they're scared of what you represent to them. What you represent to them is freedom. Talking about it and being it, that's two different things. I mean, it's real hard to be free when you're bought and sold in the marketplace. Of course, don't ever tell anybody that they're not free, because then they're going to get real busy killing and maiming to prove to you that they are. Oh, they're going to talk to you and talk to you about individual freedom, but if they see a free individual, it's going to scare them. That don't make them running scared. It makes them dangerous. So tag in the ongoing situation in Vietnam, the Altamont disaster, and the Manson family, kicking off a decade or two of weird cults and serial killers, and the age of Aquarius went very dark very fast. Witchcraft and Satanism were all the rage, and sin were from mainstream blockbusters like Rosemary's Baby, which we talked last week on the Polanski Show, The Exorcist and the Omen series, straight on down to the level of pornography like the devil within her, reflected this new preoccupation with occultism. Several of the things we'll be covering tonight are actually TV movies and episodes of popular TV shows shown to housewives and children across the nation midday, as well as just past primetime and evenings. It was no obscure cult thing like we see nowadays, ignored by all but a small group of the dedicated. This was a very mainstream thing at the time. In fact, there are so many instances of this that even limiting ourselves to the 70s, we further weeded out all generically supernatural shows and films. No ghosts or priests versus the devil, no witchcraft or reincarnation-centered ones. Nothing but films that specifically involve and center upon satanic cults of some sort or another. And even then, whittled down a tad to speak to the best examples of the type. So, that's what we'll be doing tonight. Hopefully you will follow along with us and reminisce and enjoy. And maybe, if you haven't seen some of these things, seek them out for yourselves, because all of these are out there somewhere on DVD, Blue, or both. Yeah, uh, Miss Lewis. Yeah, I think this was my idea, because, and I threw it out to you, and you're like, yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. And because, yo, these, even more so than the films we'll be discussing, the TV, you know, you young guys out there who are listening to this, uh, your 30s, uh, possibly 40s, have no idea. Early 1970s American television was very gung-ho. Go, go for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was some weird shit on TV. Well, we actually addressed this a little bit when we talked to our uh, Dan Curtis in the 70s show. Dan yeah. Curtis was the producer of Dark Shadows, which went off the air. That actually kind of set people's minds along this path in the late 60s to early 70s and very early 70s. And after that, he did a whole bunch of stuff from gothic horrors, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, whatever. Picture of Dorian Gray was another one. Oh, Dr. Jekyll, yeah. Yeah, and then he did a whole bunch of other things with, with Richard Matheson, who was yeah. like, ubiquitous at the time. Things like Moon of the Wolf, and you can find a lot of Dan Curtis at the Norlis tapes, which was the pilot. So anyway, we we did address this previously. Yeah, we did. But in a way, even downbeat drug culture things, there, there was a very good... Actually, William Shatner was in it. I, I forgot the title. There was a very good uh, TV movie about like a heavily drug-addicted daughter. You know, family thought she was fine, just out of it. We're not paying attention. And, you know, that, that kind of thing was going on. Abortion. Mm-hmm. Remember Angel Dusted? The, it's actually kind of funny, but the one about, it was that after-school special with Gene Stapleton in it, and her son like, yeah. was dropping Angel Dust, the PCP. And yeah. he went yeah. to like the supermarket, and he saw rats all over the vegetables, and he went up, like, jumped off a building at the end because he thought he could fly. I mean, it, in retrospect, it's hilarious, but at the time, it was like, this is serious shit. And it was going out to housewives and kids. I don't even laugh at this stuff in retrospect, because I thought, I thought it was very well done. And so some of the things we're going to talk about today, some of these, these movies and TV shows, 
I actually did a lot of work on some of this stuff. I mean, it, it's hard to, to really comment. I'm sure you're going to really just blow it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just add my comments. But I, I found out that, oddly enough, guys from our favorite British TV show of all time, The Avengers, mm-hmm. a lot of those directors worked on quite a few. That's of actually true. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and some of these movies and films, although people might categorize them as cheesy, mm-hmm. they have merits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, they're, they're not all great films, you know, but, but they have merits. And I have one or two surprises, even for you, mm-hmm. that I'll, I'll, I'll mention later. And there's one film I mentioned, which I, I wanted to bring up, but I'm not sure... I'll squeeze it in before we go off air. Okay, okay go ahead. Start. And I should also notice as you brought up the Avengers, Brian Clemens did an excellent series called Thriller. It's not to be confused yes. with one that Boris Karloff did in the late 50s, early 60s. It's actually even better. And the first season, anyway, was fantastic. A lot of supernatural shit, a lot of um, stalkers slash, you know, slasher type episodes. Again, you know, just going on during the day in TV. There, there was a TV series. And they had a lot of these things going on in the UK during the 70s. You know, everything from series like Beasts and Mysteries of the Supernatural natural and i don't know there's so many of these things to you know actual just one-off movies like the nightmare man which is actually 1981 i believe you know a lot of play for today's were doing this kind of thing the the ghost stories for christmas all those emma james ones oh yeah 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 even the hammer house of horror yes that's another one uh, the hammer house of horror you know which i think a lot of people shrug off uh, you really should see some of these like outrageous and you get strange people, and like Paul Darrow, who was famous for being Avon in Blake 7, and he's there doing a fairly serious episode. Oh, yeah. No, they're all, you know, even the ones that are weak and terrific, I thought. I just Some good stuff. I mean, you got a lot of witchcraft, a lot of voodoo stuff oh, there, but yeah. we're not talking about them tonight. So. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to talk about them tonight. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It might be something to consider out down the road, but... Uh, the... Yeah, we did a Hammer show, but we only kind of mentioned that. We, we only mentioned that. that, and, you know, the no. first episode of that series. Mm-hmm. was uh, John Finch, very good-looking man. He was in Macbeth, a lot of stage work. Roman Polanski's Macbeth, mm-hmm. uh, Hitchcock's Frenzy. And mm-hmm. uh, he, he still looked really good a couple of years on in that. And who is it uh, uh, from Rocky Horror? Oh, well, Brian, Richard O'Brien? No, no, the woman, the woman. Um, da, 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 I can't remember her name. And she played uh, her role. <laughs> Frequently new, completely libidinous. And I was like, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and that was definitely an occult theme. And that was the way they kicked off that series. And I, I could see where it might have, like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. This isn't Hammer. You know, but uh, so anyway, it's, that's, but, but yes, again, that, that as, as just mentioned briefly, that's another show that really tickled into this uh, cult thing. So you want to, uh, are we going to go chronologically by year? I think I did that, yes. Yeah, okay, let's go. Starting off, I'll do this one, and I'm going to run off and do a pit stop. <laughs> I drank too much, Ernest. So anyway, The Witchmaker. So just prior to the cutoff for the films under discussion tonight comes 1969's The Witchmaker, one of the most bizarre and oneric films of that era. With the feel of Equinox, the Jack Hill one, crossed with the southern swampland feel of Deer to Delilah, and crossed again with William Girdler's Thing of Death or even Zat. This quirky indie nightmare is the work of a one-shot wonder, William O. Brown, who wrote, directed, and co-produced, and then kind of dropped off the face of the earth, filmically speaking. He only had one prior credit, and then poof, he's gone. So, Alvy Moore of The Brotherhood of Satan, the 1981 Scream, and Mortuary, is the professor... And Green Acres, and Green Acres. Well, he wasn't he Mr. Ziffle? 
Uh, is the professor who leads his little band of students and hangers-on into a cabin in the swamp in search of the killer of several young women who hangs them upside down, drained of blood with an onk painted on their torsos for some reason. Anthony Isley of Al Adamson's Dracula vs. Frankenstein and Ted V. McKell's The Doll Squad is the cynical reporter who tags along. The stunning Thordis Brandt, whose entire career outside this film was as an uncredited extra in several films and TV shows, is Tasha, the, quote, psychic sensitive, who attracts the attention of TV bit player John Lodge's Luther the Berserk, who runs around dressed like Quasimodo and summons a small coterie of witches and occultists from around the globe to aid in his aims, including the gorgeous and quite feline Sue Bernard of Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, as Felicity Johnson, who slinks around the lengthy, if oddly clothed, orgy scene and joins the resident belly dancer for a 60s go-go shimmy. But the most memorable character here is actually Jesse of Coventry, Helene Winston of not only Brotherhood of Satan, but no less than two Elvis movies, and we did a show on Elvis, the monkey-style Double Trouble, and the awful period piece, The Trouble with Girls, a bawdy, hard-drinking, classic literary caricature of a witch whose missing-toothed aged self transforms to her youthful self and promptly fucks old Luther, who's apparently never fought off a simple glamour <laughs> spell before, <laughs> and notice that she has the same voice in apparent youth as she does as a crone. I really liked her in both iterations, and in a way it reminded me of my late grandma and her, quote, ladies club, a bunch of old flappers in their dotage who made no bones about dirty talk and their husband's fading abilities in the sack. I shit you not. My grandfather, who had a lifetime subscription to Playboy and whose basement bar bore a wall of dirty jokes for visiting guests' amusement, used to laugh about it with my, at the time, rather surprised self, using the term ladies with dripping of bemused sarcasm. I always found the candor refreshing, and so unlike the prudishness of modern parenting, and Jesse of Coventry is certainly the kind of person I'd rather hang with when I come into my dotage. Director Arthur Brown apparently boned up on his occult lore for this film, adding a few authentic-sounding, if archaic, almost Hawthorne-esque ritualism, and assorted grace notes that could otherwise be seen as a Dungeon of Harrow, Magic Sword-style, dark fantasy horror more common to the earlier 60s. With its fog-bound and isolated swamp setting, and the ritual cavern of Luther, Jesse, and company, this is one hell of a memorable and atmospherically oneric film co-produced by Brotherhood of Satan's L.Q. Jones, and it's well worth your time. Yeah, uh, no, it looks, it looks, it's a very, very low-budget film, and uh, it's almost forgotten now, uh, but we're bringing it up. <laughs> uh, it's almost forgotten now, but it's very atmospheric. You know, you you have uh you have you know you have people that were in the orbit of do uh L Q Jones work with Peckinpah, Alvy Moore did a lot of TV, L Q Jones and Alvy Moore did a lot of westerns with television as well as uh, theatrical westerns for a variety of directors. But their their real heart was you know not only making I I would say exploitation films, but they kind of tapped into this thing that. They knew was what was going on, you know, and what you said on the outset, the, the turning of the tide. Mm -hmm. And it, it's very, for its shortcomings, you know, budgetary and, and et cetera, it's a very atmospheric film. It still works in a way. Mm -hmm. And, and um, hell, there's a lot of low-budget films made today that just, like, don't make it, you know. Although low-budget back in those days was, like, 130000 Low budget nowadays is two point five million. So that being said, I I would recommend people check out this film because uh, it, it it's got a lot less kink going on, but it definitely has 
has something that shows you the dark dawning of the age of Aquarius. <laughs> how, things, how things start to change. Yeah. Next up, 1970s, Satanist the Devil's Mass, the only film from editor Ray Laurent. It's a bit of a curio, really, like the UK's Legend of the Witches or Italy's Angeli Bianchi, Angeli Neri, otherwise known as Witchcraft 70. If you want to see a much better and far more comprehensive film of this type, see if you can dig up the Christopher Lee narrated The Occult Experience from, uh, I think it was 1987, which is often utilized for sound bites by the Thrill Kill Cult, as was Alucarda and a few other films of that ilk. My favorite part is the old fart next door, whose only real gripe with the Church of Satan is that the backyard isn't regularly mowed, it's a bit overgrown, and the deplorable state of his roof. The drain pipes aren't well maintained, and the shingles occasionally come off the roof and land in this guy's yard. <laughs> After one of those chintzy stage rituals he used to put on for the public during open house sessions, more or less run by none other than Isaac Bonowitz, there are several interviews with locals, like the foreign-accented woman whose big issue is that there are naked women in there, what appear to be a pair of Jehovah's Witnesses, and the local Catholic priest. And Anton LaVey even tells a funny story about a chronic masturbator. What a guy. <laughs> For all its faults, LaVey and Satanism has always been the, quote, respectable branch thereof, and therefore much maligned by more extreme theistic variants nowadays. Essentially derived from a mix of Nietzscheanism, right-wing politics, and Jungian theory, it's less about incarnate entities than forces and the philosophy of unregulated selfishness, at least so far as the outside world is concerned. A lot of celebrities, especially in the 60s and 70s, with folks like Sammy Davis Jr., Eddie Albert, Keenan Wynn, Jane Mansfield, but running straight into the 90s with folks like King Diamond, Billy Corgan, Marilyn Manson, were members of or had interactions with LeVay in the church. But some cash was lost with his passing and all the schisms, first with Michael Aquino in the Temple of Set and later with Xena and her husband Nicholas Schreck in their more pointedly fascistic werewolf order. I believe at last call, LeVay's final companion, Blanche Barden, gave the rudder over to Peter Gilmore, but it's more of a shadow of its former self, at least insofar as public attention goes. LeVay and some members given airtime here express what might be considered forward thinking, like his ostensible stance against animal cruelty and their acceptance of homosexuality in a time when that wasn't exactly commonplace, though, quote, progressive doesn't exactly jive with the Nietzschean anti-humanist core beliefs of the church. So it comes off like that white witch bullshit that try to sell the newbies on Wicca. It's for the gen pop, but it's all facade in the end. Unless you're here for some cheesy nod to sex, nudity, and a very light kink delivered by some oft-unappealing everyday folks, it's really all LeVay's show comes off as intelligent and quite rational, as those who've read his work would already know. But remember, his admitted main influence as a former carny organist is P.T. Barnum. You know, there's a sucker born every minute. <laughs> Ballyhoo, sizzle without the stake, bullshitting those who think themselves too clever to be bullshitted. Just look at his bookshelves. It's all horror fiction, not grimoires and books of magic and demonology. Take a look at this. It's right on film. That calls a lot into question. I always had a lot of respect for the guy for his intellect and persuasive talents, but you have to keep that in mind and recognize the direct parallels of his philosophical stance with today's Republican Party, regardless of the stranglehold on that corrupted shell that used to be called, quote, Christianity. He even says, greed is good a decade and a half before Gordon Gecko, and destroy your enemies and see them driven before you about the same span of time before Conan. Enough said. Well... <laughs> I do have a bit to say about this. So, so this is a you know a documentary by Ray Laurent, who I, I don't think did anything else no. about the Church of Satan, founded in California in the 60s by Anton LaVey, and you know as you said, he he was a a carny. He was a carny, you know, before he decided he wanted to do this thing. And, you know, within the documentary, you have uh, Anton, Diane LeVay, and Isaac Bonovitz. It's it's a lot of staged... Mm -hmm. um, uh, You're seeing what they put on for the public. 
Yes, you're seeing what they put on for the public, and this is staged, and, and, and you don't see any actual, although they're trying to to make it out like these are actual, you know, we're filming these actual things going on, um, but but uh, you got fireworks there? <laughs> no, I'm crushing a bottle. You're crushing a bottle? Well, yeah, when we bottle? throw them in the recycling, you know, like little water bottles, it, just, it takes up oh, less space. Oh, okay, you're crushing a wine bottle again, <laughs> That'd be great. Well, what I do have to say, and this is a, a bit of a longish anecdote, mm-hmm. Isaac Bodowitz, who appears in this film, mm-hmm. and one of the few people actually who has a name that appears in this film, mm-hmm. uh, was recruited by Anton LaVey at 18 years old. Do you imagine that? Mm-hmm. This is well before and, he became a druid and Wiccan and yeah. all that jazz. Oh, you know all this stuff. Sure, okay, very Come on. <laughs> and he was, and 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 uh, Isaac later later stated that all these these scenes were staged for the for the film crew. Mm-hmm. And you know, as you said, you know about Isaac. Uh, he's a big name. Yeah, Gardnerian Wicker. Mm-hmm. He started that, and he, yeah, Druidian and stuff. And he he. <laughs> He passed in the, in the 2000s. It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. And uh, the funny thing was, uh, Isaac was married to Deborah Lip, and who also starred her own Gardnerian Wiccan offshoot. Mm-hmm. And but Isaac decided he wanted to marry somebody else in the, in the hand fasting ceremony, but he never divorced Deborah. So uh, that thing went on for a while. She Deborah Lip was my girlfriend for two years. <laughs> This is true. It all connects, people. <laughs> I, actually, I actually, yeah, we have a, we have photos. Um, yes, when she broke up with me, she married a lesbian. So, yeah. It, so what I'm saying is, like, you don't want Lou Paul, you gotta go to the girls. That's it. No guys, no guys can match them. <laughs> I was trying to think how to put that one. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. Seriously though, seriously though. Um, I remember when. We dated. I had no idea who she was. Mm-hmm. She rep, She wrote this really poorly written book about James Bond movies. Like, oh, I, I want to meet this lady. Mm-hmm. And on her first date, she throws all this shit out. And I'm like, oh, I'm fully aware of this. <laughs> then the first time I went to her house, she goes, well, Isaac Bonowitz was my ex-husband. I'm like, I know who he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, she brought me down to her, uh, her room. Her dungeon. <laughs> well, yeah, actually it was. It was it was where Hard Carbon met, mm-hmm. and all the walls were painted black. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you told me this was wicked. I never seen painted black walls. Oh, so, the '70s wicked was a much different thing. I always tell people that. Well, no, it was it was it was darker. <laughs> it was twenty. It was twenty. 2011. Oh, wow, even that late. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to a party one time. I met all these people, and they're like, hi. I'm Jill. I'm a lover with Sam. Hi, this is Sam. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm a lover with Joey and Jill and <laughs> your girlfriend. <laughs> and, you know, like, oh, yeah, it didn't work out after a while. <laughs> but I, I learned a lot more about LeVay mm-hmm. and Bonowitz uh, in, in, in my, it was on and off. And remember, all this stuff was very connected back then, despite the shit they've been trying to sell people since the 90s. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a, look at the Farrars. You know, the basically the biggest people in British Wicca after Alex Sanders and Gerald Gardner, and they openly admit that a lot of their stuff was cribbed, and actually Gardner cribbed a lot of his stuff directly from Alistair Crowley. So you know, it all kind of connects at one point. Right, right. Gardner's stuff was cribbed from Alistair Crowley, mm-hmm. and and I briefly dabbled in 2010 to 2012. And some stuff I'd rather not talk about, <laughs> but uh, he was a British person who actually studied on the Crowley. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and Alex Sanders uh, got it from here, and he just took it in a slightly different direction. That was even more yeah, occultic exactly, than Gardner. Exactly, yeah. But, so so, so I, I did drop that thing. It, it was semi-jokingly. No, I, I had completely lost contact with, with her, and, and uh, she sent me a box of, of hex you know what that is? A box of hex. She hexed you, or is it? <laughs> she hexed me. She hexed oh, me. Oh, for Christ's sake! <laughs> she sent me a box of hex stuff. Yeah. And and uh, I'm stronger than that. I knew exactly what it was. Yeah. And so uh, that was it. That was the end. Yeah. And so ten years later, popped into my head because I I saw I still had a, a photo or two of us, mm-hmm. and my friend brought it up because I went to my friend's uh, retirement party or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked her up. You know, she's still active. She's still writing. Mm-hmm. She's very popular. She's married to a woman. Mm-hmm. And but whatever. I just like I think I'm like, yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have uh, my own connections to all that stuff as well, but I'm not gonna get into that at all. <laughs> but suffice yeah, to yeah. say, you know, as I mentioned before about uh, Luther the Berserk, there's like, yeah, you never dealt with a glamour spell before. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. <laughs> Oh no yeah. no she she hacks me bad but yeah. no I I knew exactly what was going on mm-hmm. so I'm like I know what to do yeah so so there but, we go <laughs> uh, anyway the satanist though you know it's it's cheesy it comes off cheesy it comes off archaic the devil's mask but it's the only record we have uh, currently mm-hmm. of this Church of Satan period although he'll he'll pop up later on yeah. In this program, um, well, he did do that record. If you want to count that, the, the Black Mass one. Yeah, yeah. It's the same shit. <laughs> Putting on a show for people. <laughs> Try to find the record. Yeah, <laughs> it's out there. I mean, if you can find Crowley's uh, wax cylinder things, which I did, trust me, you can find that. So anyway, yeah. wow, right. Brotherhood of Satan, 1971. Yes. Mr. Hans, Madam Head Hooker, Anna Capri of Enter the Dragon, and her doofy straight-laced boyfriend. The widow with bratty children, Charles Bateman, a TV bit player whose biggest recurring role was playing various cops in six episodes of canon, are beset by a townload of lunatic hicks who turn out to be aged, child-kidnapping Satanists who think they'll be reincarnated as said children. The magnetic monster and up-in-smoke's frustrated father of Tommy Chung, Struther Martin, the Witchmaker's professor, Alvy Moore, there he is again, and Witchmaker producer and star, L.Q. Jones, who both writes and produces here, are members of the Bizarre Town Folk. Oddities abound with the entirety of the first 12 minutes, barely featuring three lines of dialogue, as Capri, Bateman, and his intolerably obnoxious daughter, Oh, Daddy, we killed her, we killed her, Daddy, Daddy, what happened to her, where is she? The only that's missing is the, (laughs) shut up, (laughs) do a picnic, attempt to make out by a lake, and drive through the desert in complete silence for an interminable period. At times it feels like a shittier, later attempt at Jack Hill's Equinox, if not Mono's Hands of Fate. 
But then there are some eerie fog machine blessed nighttime sequences right out of the children where wee ones of the town wander into a crappy old house where the geriatric devil worshippers are holding rituals in the basement. Or when our hero wanders into the carnage-filled, corpse-bedecked home of two parents whose child's doll apparently murdered them not long before. The intrinsic strangeness of the directorial choices and disjointed set pieces make a bad film seem quite nightmarish, almost surrealistically horrific at its best moments. And like a cross between 10,000 Maniacs and the post-taping discovery that Red State America is a horrific no-man's land where outsiders are decidedly unwelcome and rationality is simply unheard of. Like The Witchmaker and the later Devil's Reign, this may be the strangest southern fried midwestern dustball horror ever lands, at times quite effective, at others like a particularly shitty Burt Reynolds movie gone very wrong. And yes, we did a show on Burt as well for those interested. But still, a weird oneric atmosphere, interesting visuals, and some of those ritual sequences, you know, the set alone is amazing. You get the feeling of real potential here, crossed by a little too much focus on obnoxious children and crazy hicks. Oh, no, it's, it's, uh, no, you, you pretty much nailed it. It's for all its, it's low budget, very low budget. And it's, uh, from this group of filmmakers who associate with the Witchmaker and TV shows <laughs> and Westerns. But in the same way, in that manner as the Witchmaker, which we just discussed two, two films back, it's, it's effective. It's weird. I mean, it's, it's, you can't blow this movie off. No. It's, it's weird to see somebody like Strother Martin, who we have seen in so many Westerns and Western TV shows and, and Western movies, just playing this prick demonic fucking character. Mm-hmm. He's really good at it. You know, it's 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 uh it's quite interesting, and you know, it, it, you know, I rewatched this and uh, for the show, and it begs to it begs to uh, mention that. Hmm, what's going on in the South? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, everybody always saying, God, God, Jesus, Jesus. It's like, yeah, oh. tell me the truth. <laughs> you know, like, um, it's quite effective, you know, given its, uh, you know, budgetary uh, shortcomings. And, uh, but yeah, it, it's a bit nightmarish at times. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's not something to laugh at. You know, you show us to friends that they laugh at, like, are you watching the same thing I'm, I'm watching? <laughs> no, that's really good. Yeah. It's really good. So, okay. 1972, Enter the Devil. And now we come to my favorite of the many films, episodes, and telephones we'll be discussing tonight. This was once a rather obscure classic of the genre that I was introduced to by a wacky friend who I met way back in sixth grade over a chat about seeing Jack Hill's Equinox at 5 a.m. before school that day. And it turned out we had a shared love of Euro horror, which we had separately discovered through an excellent WOR late-night slot called Fright Night. They showed a lot of Nashi, Desorio, and Spanish horror, and obscurities like the Southern Gothic Dear Dead Delilah. And at the time, it seemed like, oh, yeah, these are old films. No, they were like a couple of years old only. Uh, and they were showing them on TV late night. So, directed and co-written by low-rent cowboy picture producer Frank Q. Dobbs, Enter the Devil was really the baby of lead and co-writer David Cass, a TV and film bit player and stuntman, whose most prominent credit otherwise was for Disney's Don Knotts comedy, Hot Lead and Cold Feet. 
Riffing on the weird southwestern cult of the Penitentes, also immortalized in the 30s exploited Lash of the Penitentes, which is actually out on Blu-ray now, believe it or not, the film kicks off with the mysterious disappearance of a visiting hunter. The local sheriff, UK bit player John Martin of the Saint, Z-Cars and Crossroads, among others, sends Deputy Cass down to the local hunter's lodge slash desert ranch to look into it, where sleazy Ed Geldert of exploitation horror Sugar Hill, Peter Fonda of Future World, and Urban Cowboy two of which were covered in our exploitation on Fonda shows, comes on forcibly to new girl Maria only to wind up kidnapped by cultists and thrown to the rattlers. When the local doctor brings curious PhD Irene Kelly up to the ranch to investigate the curious cult of the Penitentes, the locals get suspicious and clam up. While Deputy Cass is kept distracted by pretty serving girl Juanita, the friendly but seedy ranch manager, TV walk-on Joshua Bryan, puts the moves on Kelly. When Juanita doesn't drop by to do the nasty one night, Cass suspects something's up. She invites him out to the local mine caves that evening, only to wind up sacrificed for her relations with an outsider. Cass is attacked by the cultists and escapes, only to find his brakes cut and dies in a crash. Kelly, scheduled to leave on the next train by the worried doctor, doubles back and hitches a ride with Brian to the local mine, and the doctor and sheriff looks into Cass's disappearance. It all builds to an explosive finale, literally. With the similar desert feel to both Brotherhood of Satan and the later Native American horror Nightwing, this one, despite drawing heavily on the existence of the Penitente cult, really falls more into the satanic cult genre due to its human sacrifices, kidnappings, and the rather enclosed and secretive nature of the cult and its severe punishments on both outsiders and those within who step out of line in one form or another. It's a bit of a surprise ending, and the psycho-style offing of the lead a little more than halfway through the film is sure to baffle, if not shock, first-time viewers. It's very much an independent obscurity, largely filled by local unknowns and some very minor and often short-careered and uncredited bit players and extras, adding to its strangeness and impact. I loved this one to death since I first encountered it, and had to grab copies from the Green Market, later one of those Something Weird DVDRs, until Massacre, of all people, picked up for Blu-ray a few years back. I highly recommend this one. It's definitely my most revisited, much-loved film of all the ones we're talking about tonight. So, Have you seen this one? I have, but I, I couldn't find it for this program <laughs> until the other day, but I have a lot going on. I, I saw it was on one of those Mill Creek video. 50 movies on four CDs. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do have it, and, and I wanted to rewatch it, but I, ju I just couldn't, given our time constraints. Yeah, but I have seen it, and I remember it being weird and, and strange, a very low budget. Uh, the, the funny thing was there was about a three-year period. There were three films released in the U.S. market as Into the Devil. <laughs> yeah. and, and this is one of them, and probably the most least seen of all of them. It's like saying house movies or Beyond the Dwarf movies or zombie yeah, series. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because because the, the most seen was 1974's uh, Leo Sessa by Mario Garriazzo. Mm -hmm. Garriazzo. That's the one about the nun. Yeah, the nun and the possessed stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're very sexy, very weird, very freaky. Yeah. Um, but no, I have seen this, but not many years. And, and I wanted to, but yeah, again... Well, I encourage you to revisit it because I always loved it. It's lots of fun. Oh, no, no. I'll revisit it. It's in one of those out of print. You know, Mill Creek was doing this weird thing for a while. Uh, Mill Creek video out of, where are they, New Jersey? I don't know. I'm not sure, but they became BCI Eclipse later who put up better quality versions of these things. Same idea, though. But they were doing this thing like 50 movies in yep. a box set or 100 movies in a box set, like 10, 12, 15, yep. 20 DVDs. 
was like four movies on each side, whatever it was. Um, and it was a variety of TV movie broadcast versions. And it was like, oh, this is uncut. I would never have seen this version on, on television. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was in that box. And, and, and you know, I did see it and I, you know, within the past couple of years. But I didn't find it too really recently, and I, I just couldn't find the time. But you make it sound really good, so I need to see that. So next up is a TV episode of Macmillan and Wife, The Devil You Say, from 1973. Lovable Rock Hudson, Susan St. James mystery series with John Shuck and Nancy, Rosie the Paper Towel Lady Walker, who helped fund their hilariously gay village people movie, Can't Stop the Music, and whose bounty ads were filmed at the dumpy Route 17 truck stop, the Bendix Diner, as comic relief sidekicks. Despite Rock's big secret at the time, they always had a cute relationship, and St. James was one of the most desirable females of the era for all her goofy pluckiness. In this season three episode, Walker's crotchety housekeeper runs afoul of a satanic cult when she sees a murder that didn't happen, but it's really all about their trying to awaken a past life as Witch Queen Serena in St. James so that she can leave their coven. To do what? Who the hell knows? But they keep giving her little gifts and trying to drive Walker better than she already is. There's a bit of conflating between Wicca and Satanism in that people keep saying blessed be rather than salmoted be and such like, but we've all seen much worse from Hollywood. Overall, it's fair enough, and while hardly Simon King of the Witches here, it's not a million miles off the mark in some respects. Trouble Man himself, Robert Brooks, stars as a disbarred attorney come Satanist. Keenan Wynn, as usual, is an occult expert, and fellow cultists alongside Colonel Clink himself, Werner Klemperer, TV regulars John Fiedler, the 70s version of Elisha Cook Jr., and poor Barbara Colby of Mary Tyler Moore and Phyllis Regular, who was gunned down in a still unsolved murder a few years later, round out the cast. It's a lot of fun, especially when Walker drops lines like, How dare they? I don't mean the murder. I mean calling me funny looking when they knew I was listening. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did see this, you bastard. Because uh, <laughs> I know you've seen like every McMillan and wife recently. Yeah, well, not recently. recent. No, recent years. In recent yeah. years. Yes. And, and I call you bastard affectionately. <laughs> uh, no, but I, but I was like, You put this on the list? <laughs> No, so I tracked it down. I watched it. I found it on YouTube, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's everything you say. And it's actually not too bad, mm-hmm. you know, for you. TV. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember Macmillan, the wife, and it wasn't it wasn't horrible. Actually, all those things, Macmillan, the wife, Banachek, mm-hmm. even some of those McClouds weren't, weren't terrible. The first season of McLeod was great. You know, Canon, yeah. these are all good things. Yeah, yeah. And I was like... And I love yeah. <laughs> no, no, it, it's just like uh, people scoff now, but it's like, you know, you should go take another look because you're going by what you read. Mm-hmm. You should go by what you, what you see. And, and yo, know, it's, it's not a bad thing. No, it's not. So The Devil's Daughter, 1973. And yes. now we come to my all-time favorite TV movie. More so than Satan's School for Girls, Crowhaven Farm, Gargoyles, Death Moon, or Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, even more than all those great Dan Curtis ones we mentioned before, like Moon of the Wolf, this was a real diamond amidst the bunch. Directed by Joyce Two and Supergirl's Jean Swark, it's blessed with a surprisingly solid cast from the Diana Doors of the States, Shelley Winters, to Barnabas Collins himself, Jonathan Frid. All sorts of television and film standbys appear. Baron Blood, his own self, Joseph Cotton. The Wiz's Good Witch of the North and Swing Shantou's Thelma Carpenter. Death Moon's Robert Foxworthy. Ritual of Evil's Belinda Montgomery. Even Fish from Barney Miller, Abe Vigoda. 
As you might expect, Winters and Cotton dominate the proceedings whenever they get screen time, but the film is filled with creepy characterizations and odd happenstance. The odd geriatric lesbian couple who garden next door. Frizz mute and much abused manservant, trying to convey Montgomery's doom through his eyes and facial expressions alone. The many Rosemary's Baby-style touches, like the Spanish cigarettes, quote-unquote, and the sinister Frank Langella-looking portrait of Satan that hangs in the apartment Montgomery's late mother left to her. How Winters refused to allow her to have any friends outside of herself and other members of her cult. And the Omen-style accidents that befall all those who try. The bizarre party scene where Montgomery is induced to a voodoo-style dance of wild abandon and possession. By early 70s standards, it's about as close to riding the horse as a suburban white girl would ever get. Those of you who know your Maya Darren. And my favorite over-the-top moment, the scrapbooked, smiling group photo of her mother and the rest of the cast in full cult regalia. That's the thing to keep in your scrapbook. Here, show the family. Filled with Dutch angles, high overhead, fisheye lens moments, and scenes filmed through knickknacks and bric-a-brac, there's no mistaking the danger a heroine is in and the impossibility of escape. There's even a big trick ending that audiences at the time would likely have never expected. If anything, I much prefer The Devil's Daughter to Polanski's famed progenitor, if only due to this one having a tolerable, even likable lead, something that no one on earth ever said about the at-best neurotic Mia Farrow. <laughs> so what's your take? Yeah, it's a very strange, weird movie. And, you know, it's a shame that Janol Sazwak really had talent. He really did have talent. And, of course, when he worked with Universal for what was it, Joe's 2? Joe's 2 and uh, Supergirl. <laughs> Super, Supergirl, yeah. Yes, some pretty bad uh, movies. Yeah, no, he's, he's working for Machine. Yeah. But no, the guy really displayed some, some obviously directorial talent, and, you know, he knew what he was doing. And, you know, the cast, you, you can't crazy-ass cast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nowadays you could reflect on it as, well, they were husbands. No, they weren't. No. They were still working actors. Mm-hmm. Fred is just two years out of Dark Shadows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Joseph Cotton still working, and Diane Ladd is in this fucking thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. this, I don't know. Has Barney Miller started yet? I don't think so. so he, it might young, have been before that, yeah. Yeah, youngish. <laughs> he well, out. he always looked the same fish. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. No, it's it's an interesting movie. I don't think I'm crazy about it as much as you are, but it's it's good to bring uh, knowledge to this film. Yeah. So same year, Satan's School for Girls. Yet another TV movie, this time from none other than Aaron Spelling and director David Lowell Rich, who gave us the hilarious William Shatner TV movie Horror at 10,000 Feet, which we discussed in our Shatner show, and Fred Williamson as a black James Bond in That Man Bolt, which we discussed in our Black Exploitation show. Which is a good movie. It is. It actually is. Yeah. Since it's a spelling production, you get two future Charlie's Angels, Dark Shadows alum Kate Jackson and Cheryl Ladd, also of the late slasher entry Lisa and the Lolita Gone Fatal Attraction Poison Ivy. Plus UK horror standby Pamela Franklin of Ensuing the Darkness, Necromancy, Legend of Hell House, which is excellent, and a few episodes of Brian Clemens' excellent thriller series, which I mentioned earlier. Roy Thinnis of Airport 75. Dan Curtis's excellent The Norless Tapes, which I mentioned earlier, and the 1991 Dark Shadows Revival series, both of which were covered in our Dan Curtis show. And The Invaders. And the yes, Invaders. you're right. The Invaders, too. That's a great show. Or at least it was early on. And the always officious and ubiquitous 70s TV bit players, Lloyd Bachner and Frank Marth. Franklin yeah. gets a visit from her estranged sister, a real nervous Nellie who winds up hanging herself in Franklin's posh flat. Or did she? 
Investigating the weird girl school the dead girl attended, she uncovers a satanic coven, which includes nearly everyone she's met, led by someone who claims he's the devil incarnate. There's too much atmosphere and tension to the proceedings to dismiss this one outright, but by far this is one of the least of the films and shows discussed tonight. Despite its reputation, which likely results from a combination of its memorable title and two future angels in the cast rather than its own somewhat meager merits. For a very similar but even lesser TV movie of the type, try The Possessed with a young Harrison Ford, or better yet, don't. What's your take? <laughs> oh, it, it's okay. It's still a little creepy. You know, again, as, as I mentioned earlier, that early American television of the uh, 70s, 74, just off the top of my head, really showed guts and really just made some weird freaking movies and and yo this is unusual for a time period for being a made for tv movie for television but it's not great but but you know that being said you know the cast the cast kind of elevates it mm-hmm. you know they're probably saying oh wow i saw this guy in umpteen episodes of this you know lloyd lloyd bachner was oh, he's ubiquitous stage yeah. actor yeah, he was a stage actor primarily, but he was ubiquitous. I don't know why. Mission Impossible and every other fucking thing that was on TV. But uh, it's not terrible, but it's not, not as good as one of the other, you know, uh, Devil's mm-hmm. Daughter, which we, we just mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. So next year, uh, 1974, The Night Stalker, The Devil's Platform. Yes, the movies were better, but my favorite television series of all time has always been The Night Stalker. <laughs> Since its original airings and reruns of late night back in my childhood, I and my father used to watch these little tastes of dark-toned, neo-Richard Matheson-style, grim horror and mystery with delight, and I've never found better or even anything similar to the present day. I'm sorry, X-Files fans, I know you're a big one. <laughs> one of its final episodes was one of the series' better ones, namely The Devil's Platform with Tom Skerritt, who'd also started in The Devil's Reign later in the same year. As a senatorial hopeful whose competition, or those who threaten to air any of his dirty laundry, die in a series of mysterious accidents, a vicious Doberman with a Baphomet on his collar and a place for license appears at every scene. You have to wonder if this were some wry comment on Nixon, Agnew, and Watergate. It certainly seems prophetic given the surprise victory and continuing cult of domestic terrorism of Donald Trump and the MAGA movement. If any politician ever sold their very being to Satan, he certainly was the one. How the hell can you explain the willful blindness and murderous insanity of his followers in spite of his defeat and all evidence of his evil intentions for our nation? Darren McGavin was also known for his role as the original Mike Hammer, and later in The Martian Chronicles, Airport 77, and Schwarzenegger's Raw Deal, which we talked about in our Schwarzenegger show. But he's always been primarily known for his run as Carl Koljak in two TV movies and the subsequent series, which we delved into further in our Dan Curtis in the 70s show. Coffee's King George himself, Robert the Key, cameo, so you may remember that film from our Blaxploitation show, as does Ruth McDevitt from Hitchcock's The Birds and Elvis's last movie, Change of Habit, from our Elvis film show. While not necessarily a satanic cult entry, this tale of a deal with the devil and its inevitable denouement does slot neatly into the subgenre and remains both memorable and emblematic of the post-hippie era preoccupation with the occult and Satanism in particular, from big Hollywood affairs like Polanski's Romero Baby, The Omen, and The Exorcist down to the films we're discussing today, which are really just the tip of a much larger iceberg of witchcraft, reincarnation, possession, and spiritualism TV movies and films throughout that decade. Wow. <laughs> that was a mouthful. Um, I always thought that the, uh, I love, the, I really dig the first two Night Stalker films, mm-hmm. Night Stalker and Night Strangler. Yes. Barry Adam Water and, uh, gosh, I forgot what was the second one, but 
The, well, the one in San Francisco, you mean? Yeah, the one in San Francisco. The Strangler, right? yeah. Night Strangler, yes, thank you. But I always had my own these twice over Blu-ray, DVD. Mm-hmm. I always had issues. It's like they said to Dan Curtis, uh, we're going to severely cut your budget. <laughs> and 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 you know they had it work against tight it looks like time constraints mm-hmm. and thank goodness that you know Simon Oakland stayed on yes and and you know he's he's, he's a great character actor and was a great character actor and and he worked well with Darren McGammon and and um, yeah he was a great foil yeah it was a great foil I was like is this guy gonna fucking aneurysm on the set yes I always wondered that I'm like God this guy's gonna kill himself I'm like oh, <laughs> Zombies don't exist. Vampires don't exist. Well, <laughs> and that, that was a great thing, though. That they, I think they kicked off the series, but the reprise sort of like a sneak back on the night. The first one. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was nice. With the hooker murderer. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I did rewatch this episode because I have it. And mm-hmm. and it's okay. Um, I see what, you, what you're getting at. I wouldn't make all those political illusions, but <laughs> free, feel free to do so. But yeah, this is like something from of its time. It was a political episode. <laughs> I know it's a political episode, but you guys drag it over to Trump. So, wasn't there a, a Night Stalker recast? Yeah, there was one in the 90s, I think. Was it like somebody weird? Like I couldn't remember because it wasn't that great. It felt more like an X-Files episode to me. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I, but see, now here, I, you mentioned X-Files, and I'm going to drag it through the fucking dirt. <laughs> it's. I don't think you really got hooked on that, and that's no. okay. A lot of people haven't. But the X Files is, is is a really good continuation of the Night Stalker in a different manner. They even were so loyal to this, they brought McGavin back for a few episodes. That's interesting. Not as Carl Kolchak, but as a very similar character. So I knew Chris Carter would love the series and wanted to redo it in his own way, but yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, that. it's a series that never should have ended. Should keep on going, but Gillian Armstrong rather play Queen Elizabeth. I'm not saying anything else about that. Now, the two of them hated each other anyway, so uh, <laughs> offset. All right, next. But anyway, 1975, Race with the Devil. We covered this one in our Peter Fonda show, but Race with the Devil features Easy Rider's Captain America himself, alongside his 92 in the Shade co-star and two-lane blacktop man Warren Oates, plus the irritating Hot Lips Houlihan of the TV iteration of MASH, Loretta Swit, and of all people, Dark Shadows' Angelique, Lara Parker, as a pair of dirt bike racers who head out in an RV for a road trip, only to run afoul of a human-sacrificing devil cult in the middle of the desert. When they try to hang at a country bar with some new friends at a weird trailer park outfitted with a pool, someone breaks into their RV, crucifies their toy dog, and leaves a rattlesnake as a present, and they find themselves unable to trust anyone they meet or go to for help. Isolated and surrounded by conspirators at every turn, they wind up in a statewide race with the cultists in hot pursuit. Sinister-looking R.G. Armstrong of the car, Devil Dog, the Hound of Hell, and Fred Williamson's boss, <clears throat> and mean Johnny Barrows, both of which we touched on in our Blaxploitation show, is the local sheriff who seems a bit off, and director Jack Starrett, who also appears as the seedy gas pump jockey cuddling a cute tortie, also hailed from Blaxploitation, giving us both Slaughter and Cleopatra Jones, again touched on in the aforementioned show. It's closer to a road film, think Vanishing Point, Tulane Blacktop, or even Damnation Alley, which we discussed in our Science Fiction with a Message, Dystopian Machines of the Counterculture Era show, than it is a horror film. 
but it certainly works. And in fact, this is one of the most professional and well-characterized of the films we're talking tonight. Highly recommended to cult film fans and mainstream types alike. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's okay. So people hear me out. You know, you're watching this movie or you heard about this movie and you're watching 30 to 35 minutes of some auto dealers and side sideline dirt bike riders, and dirt bike racers, best buddies. It's fond of war notes and the best friends, best friends. And, you know, they're going to go on vacation, long overdue vacation with their wives, girlfriends, Loretta Sweat, Laura Parker. Yeah, Loretta from MASH, Laura Parker from Dark Shadows. And it's about like a half an hour, like, we're the best friends, and we're going to ride through the fucking countryside, and we're going to pitch a thing outside of our RV, and we're going to have some food. But things go sour after that 40-minute mark, because, like, they're, they're out there. They're just drinking beers, and I can imagine this guy's probably really drinking. And they're drinking beers, and... Like, what's that in the distance? You know, and they and they they catch a satanic ritual going on and some sacrifice. So they get freaked out. Like, let's get the fuck out of here. You know, right? That's what we would do, right? And from things after that, I I always thought this movie was super intense. After a while, I was like, holy shit! And it has, which was 1975. Mm-hmm. It has I had. For me, I was 15 when I saw it in the theater. It was one of those early movies where I was like, are you fucking kidding me? At the ending, you know, we don't want to give away the ending. We try not to. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's fucked up. Yeah. And I was like, that's fucked up. Because, I mean, it's a bit cheesy. You got best buddies and the girls hanging out. And then some of the chase scenes are really, really well done. Almost Hal Needham style. You know, non-joking, you know, not not joking aside, you know, Hal Needham was a really good action director. Mm-hmm. Jack Starrett was also a really good action director. And, you know, who's Jack Starrett? You know, Jack Starrett performed a lot as an actor. He directed quite a few things. I'll tell you who Jack Starrett is. Remember Rambo, the mm-hmm. first movie was still on? Yep. He's the guy that beats the shit out of Sly in, 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 in the uh, jail. Mm-hmm. He's the one that beats Stallone so badly that he, he loses his shit and does everything he does. Mm-hmm. He plays one of the, one of the sheriffs. And Hal Needham, uh, we actually discussed him a lot in our Burt Reynolds show. Those were yeah. interesting. But yeah, that ending inside of a, uh, a special kind of pentagram that you don't really see outside yeah. of satanic circles. Yeah. <laughs> Those of you who know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. So somebody knew what they were doing, too. Yo, it's, it's very well... I like this movie a lot. Yeah, the first 40 minutes or so, like... It's like a road movie, a buddy movie, and then all of a sudden... It's like a road movie, a buddy movie, but I, I, I always thought, and it still held up, because I rewatched this, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, it was fucking intense. And it doesn't... I thought the actresses were fine, you know, they're freaking out. The guys are freaking out after a while. I love... You really see Warren Oates freak out. Mm-hmm. You know, Warren Oates is the guy. You know, Peter Fonda is like Mr. He's smoking a blunt. <laughs> Even when I met him, he's, I stoned out right. his mind early in the morning. These guys, these guys are fucking freaking out because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, shit. You know? yep. And like there's high speed chases, but it's not like not for fun. No. It's like get away. You know, this is a really good, highly recommended movie mm-hmm. for me. Very tense. At least. And, and, and there are a couple of other uh, 
familiar faces that you might see from television and other films in this. Yeah, beside R.G. Armstrong, mm-hmm. who I always felt interesting because he was a he always appeared to be like a certain age. It was like forever, like fifties ish. Mm-hmm. But he said, "You will fuck." You're like, damn. Every time you see him in something else, it's like distrustful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no, I, I I think it's a classic of the era. One of the best occult, I guess we can call it, slash action films. Yeah, it's it's something that mainstream people know about and have seen and said, wow, this is a tense film or whatever, at least even if they don't like it, uh, as opposed to some of these other ones that are more culty. So, yeah. But I, I also think it's a lot of film people haven't seen, although they've seen it on lists. You know? mm-hmm. I, think, I think that exists too. Go ahead. So, uh, same year, we come to a real oddity, The Devil's Reign. Ooh. If you thought Brotherhood of Satan had a weird atmosphere and construction, prepare yourself for this off-air, much-beloved cult classic from Dr. Fives and and soon the Darkness director Robert Foost. Tapping Anton LaVey himself as script consultant, and with both himself and Zena's mother Diane cameoing, this one features a down-on-his-luck William Shatner, and we speak to this rather interesting era of his career in our Shatner in the 70s show, and a plethora of stars, including John Travolta in his actual first film role, Up in Smoke's crazy Vietnam vet Strawberry, Tom Skerritt, Keaton, Hail Satan Wynn, of many a cult role, he was in Orca, The Dark, The Glove, Laser Blast, Piranha, Clonus, the list goes on. Green Acres, Concord Airport, 1979, and Burt Reynolds' hustle star, Eddie Albert. Ernest Borgnine of The Black Hole, Convoy, and the Great Hill and Spencer comedy, Super Fuzz. And Batman's Dr. Cassandra and one of the first prominent female directors, Ida Lupino. As a story, it's quite illogical and not entirely linear, which adds to its sonaric feel. Opening on a grim rainstorm in an isolated ranch house in the desert, things seem to almost happen at random and without explanation. Everyone is terrified without cause. A family member knocks at the door only to melt away like Lovecraft's thing on the doorstep. They unearth a book hidden beneath the floorboards. Son Shatner steps outside and Mother Lupino is kidnapped. The Shat heads out to a ghost town where the only abandoned church is a satanic temple and loses a battle of wills and religion against High Priest Borgnine. Brother Skerritt traces him to the same spot and gets attacked by another melting soul. And there's a flashback out of the blue to a pilgrim era satanic cult meeting with Borgnine and Shatner, whose wife has betrayed the cult to the mob who burned them at the stake as Borgnine curses the traitors for all time. In the present day, Borgnine holds a desert ritual to possess the Shat with his personal life persona, turning into a goat of Mendes flanked by LeVay in a Mardi Gras mask. Skerritt, who infiltrated the coven, reveals himself and escapes to drag, quote, psychic researcher Eddie Albert in. Albert somehow has the book Borgna was looking for and informs us the book is filled with the blood oaths of the Pilgrim era coven members and somehow Borgna not having this in hand is supposed to dilute his powers. Not that he can tell in any way, nor why he bothers reincarnating and bringing the old band back together. The expected showdown ensues. Shatner, now a reincarnated lost soul, shatters a fishbowl full of moaning souls in hell, and there's the usual bleak 70s surprise ending. Uh, yeah, it makes loads of sense. Those expecting this to achieve any semblance of logic in occult terms are sadly deluding themselves. LeVay's influence appears to be limited to some more accurate than usual spoken ritual schmutters, but it all means nothing in the end, and the whole apparent conceit of the film is ridiculous. He must have been laughing up his sleeve the whole time at putting one over everyone and pulling a paycheck for it. 
Even so, it's quite generic in all its disjointedness and oft extremely vivid imagery. The whole opening sequence, Shatner's approach to the ghost town church, the desert ritual, and sadly the closest stateside films get outside Kenneth Anger to the, quote, authenticity of Hammer's excellent Wheatley adaptation, The Devil Rides Out, which is astronomically more accurate in terms of ritual and effect. An often visually stunning piece of nightmare logic with the same abandoned southwestern vibe of Enter the Devil, but take it for what it is, pure gibberish. No, it's, it's, this one's a complete fucking puzzle. <laughs> because you, you had a very talented director, you know, beside the five films he did, the Jerry Cornelius, The Last Days of Man on Earth, The Final Program, which was problematic, but you got all these <laughs> major TV and film stars in this weird thing. It's like, it's very strange. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's very bizarre because it plays out very matter of factly and then not. Yeah. And then, and then it just takes these turns and it just goes places. You don't know what the hell's going on. Totally nightmare logic. Totally nightmare logic. And then there's the final meltdown. <laughs> Which goes on forever. I'm like, come on already. <laughs> this is definitely one of the, probably the strangest horror films of the 1970s. Yes. Um, and it's funny. It, it, it got a lot of fans quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, primarily the early young Fango crowd over the, the melting effects. <laughs> But I think people really didn't catch on to the weirdness that was going on to that until recent years. It's just a very strange movie. And in a way, I give you credit for actually pulling off this fucking weird fucking thing that he did because <laughs> yeah. it's very bizarre. I mean, you you watch it today, you know, I think there's been a remastered Blu-ray with you know, some extras on there, but... It's very strange. Yeah. It's very strange. So, 1976, Satan's Slave from Norman Warren. We mm. talked this one on our Keeping the British End Up, a Friendly Pint with Norman Pete show, which was on Norman J. Warren and Pete Walker. The positively stunning Candace Glenn Denning of Tower of Evil and Walker's Flesh and Blood show takes the lead in Warren's Satan's Slave, scripted by Walker and Warren regular David McGillivray, and featuring cult film favorite Michael Gow of practically every British horror from Horror of Dracula to the Kinsky Reed Venom, discussed in our shows on both of those men. As the apparent head cultist, and UK cult telly regular David Bree of The Persuaders, Doctor Who, Randall and Hopkirk, The Sweeney, Special Branch, and The Professionals, even I, Clodius, and Ace of Wands. Basically, he's in practically half of my UK TV collection as her father. <laughs> Doctor Who's heart and companion, Ben, Michael Craze, also of Warren's Terror, appears briefly as Glenn Denning's boyfriend, the monster clothes Barbara Kellerman as Gov's personal secretary, and Martin Potter of Goodbye Gemini and Craze as the leering and creepy, quote, love interest she falls into bed with. There's really not a lot to it plot-wise. It follows the recurring theme of reincarnation by an evil ancestor and the awakening of the spirit by yet another self-styled, human-sacrificing satanic cult. But if you dig the grotty, dingy atmosphere of 70s British horror, particularly the lower-end independent work with people like Walker and Warren, it's certainly enjoyable enough. Yeah, we, we spoke about this uh, when we did our, our Warren show. show. Yeah. But but uh, I have to say, you know, it's, it's, it's entertaining as hell. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, McGilvery uh, was very much into that British sexploitation thing. 
Mm-hmm. And and you know he he worked he actually pierced the priest in this thing, <laughs> and and you know he worked with, with Norman J. Warren quite often on on, on things as uh, and Pete Walker and Pete Walker yes and Pete Walker as a script advisor screenwriter you know helping him out behind the scenes sometimes he appear on screen mm-hmm. and, and the thing that the thing that Norman J. Warren had over Pete Walker was like <laughs> no, no Norman J. Warren. We, he he would cast the bodacious Brit girls. Yes. Yeah. He he would. I, I'm not talking about like ex casting. I'm not going there. But <laughs> but like yeah, you know, like when the girls were yeah, you know, they're talented. They can act. They're actresses. But he would like bring me your bustiest, you know, bodacious <laughs> British actress. And, you mm-hmm. know, and these are young ladies into the field. And so yo, know, it adds a little bit of something, a little bit of oomph. Um, yep. And, you know, they're trying to sell these movies, too. You know, so, yeah. Candace Glendening, I agree. She was stunning. You know, mm-hmm. And uh, it's a shame we didn't get to see more of her later mm-hmm. on. But, mm-hmm. yeah. We actually did a show on British exploitation, too. I can't remember what we called it, but uh, it was effectively like that book, Keeping the British End Up. Yes. Uh, we covered a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, and some of them were actually early Pete Walker films, because he did things like School for Sex early on before he yes. became a horror guy. So anyway, Satan's Cheerleaders in 1977. Well, I'll be damned, most likely. Graydon Clark, who gave us the unforgettable black shampoo, a drunken Martin Landau yelling about space aliens on Without Warning, and Joe Don Baker, who we did an entire show on in both Joysticks and Final Justice, drops one of the most bizarre satanic cult films of the 70s on our collective heads with Satan's Cheerleaders. A group of fun-loving, light-thighed cheerleaders and their somewhat naive lady coach, Al Adamson and Graydon Clark regular Jacqueline Cole, Practice at a rather secluded beach. Seriously, it's hardly the ridiculously crowded pay to park, pay to get on the beach, pay for an umbrella shore point we're all accustomed to on the coast. They seem to have the beach all to themselves. Get into a chicken fight with a rival school and get peeped on by a sleazy old janitor with a stuttering problem, ubiquitous TV bit player Jack Crucian, who turns out to be a rather hapless Satanist. A convenient lift he offers to her damsels in distress puts them right in the hands of the cult and the expected hijinks ensue. Lily Munster, Yvonne DiCarlo, who'd go on to a number of cult horror films like Silent Scream, Cellar Dweller, and Mirror Mirror, not to mention Sly Stallone Flop Oscar, which is talked on our Stallone show, and we actually talked Cellar Dweller in our show on Full Moon Pictures, mm. shows up as the Coven's High Priestess, as does Grumpy John Ireland of House of Seven Corpses, The Incubus, and Waxworks 2, as the Sheriff come High Priest. Even the perpetually pickled John Carradine, who's long since fallen to the ghetto of one-shot Bodine, Ted V. McKells, and Al Adamson films, shows up as someone on the nose, a drunken bum. Head cheerleader Kerry Sherman, a TV bit player who wound up in both 48 Hours and Eyes of Fire, turns out to be the surprise Satanist whose magic is far superior to the rather dilettante cult, and the film is just as much a crowned international teen sex comedy as it is a horror film, even showcasing two cheesy disco cuts, Who You Gonna Love Tonight, and the rather Alec Constantino slash Love and Kisses style Euro disco of All for One and One for All. It's loads of fun, but hard to take seriously, even with some very typical for the subgenre moments, and Ireland's rather WWE style beatdown come murder of an EP recruitment. I mean, the girls actually run around in outfits with their first name across their boobs, in case you have a favorite, but forgot her name. It's like Clark foresaw the emergence of Japanese idol singer fanboys. And the cult is sillier than usual, and not just because they expect to find a virgin among these free-living, not to mention somewhat overage 70s teenagers. They have a guy they call Monk, 
who one of the girls mistakes for a Catholic priest, even though he sports a huge-ass pentagram and crosses himself with an inverse cross pattern. And the only magic they seem to know is one phrase, like Raven in the Teen Titans cartoon. And once again, they conflate Wicca with Satanism because it ends with Blessed Be. Oh, it's it's cheesy. It's fun, but great. Yeah, it's fun. But great. Graydon Clark managed to, uh, with a limited budget and limited time frames, always managed to work wonders. And mm-hmm. it, the thing I found most interesting was like, for, as, as cheesy as it looked, 1977, <laughs> that Dean Conti was the cinematographer. You know, Dean worked with John Carpenter for years afterwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, it's a uh, shout out to, you know, one of the early Dean Cundy director of photography films. But uh, yeah, I, I, what can you say about this? You know, you, you pretty much hit it on the nose. <laughs> so 1977, The Sentinel. 1977 brings one of my most beloved films, Black and White Cat, Black and White Cake. Bronson regular collaborator Michael Winner, much discussed in our Bronson shows, four-time Saturn Award-nominated The Sentinel. My mother actually had the Michael Convitz novel, which I recall reading and enjoying even before the film came out, and the author was tapped to write the screenplay as well, which may be why it works quite as well as it does. Gorgeous but perpetually stoned, Christina Raines is a high-fashion model who moves into an old apartment building, only to find her neighbors are a succession of oddballs and perverts who, upon further investigation, turn out to be deceased murderers and suicides. She's actually alone in the building except for the attic tenant, an aged blind priest who unceasingly stares out the window. Who is he, and why is he not on the register of any parish? The film is pure decadence as much as it is a cult horror, with some wonderfully over-the-top yet simultaneously quite professional performances from big names like The Penguin, Burgess Meredith, Psycho, Mitchell, and Poliziotesci standby Martin Balsam, Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, The Antichrist, and fellow Poliziotesci regular Arthur Kennedy, Violent Midnight, 92 in the Shade, and The Funhouse's Sylvia Miles, Jose Ferrer of The Being and Dracula's Dog, the Deep's Eli Wallach, Last Embrace, and Beauty That Kills, Christopher Walken. Mm-hmm. FX and Dirty Dancing's Kerry Orbach. National Lampoon's Vacation Series, Beverly D'Angelo. 92 in the Shade and Wise Blood's William Hickey. And even Deep Space Nine's Nana Visitor, John Carradine, and my man Jeff Goldblum appear. There are some fascinating character bits, like the lesbian couple who leer at and even masturbate in front of her heroine, Meredith's lovely sinister head of the table, and just about everyone in the party scene. But it's just as notable for its off-shocking and disturbing imagery, from the cat feasting on a bloody bird, her traumatic childhood memory of catching her superannuated father naked with two whores, one of whom's definitely in BBW territory. He proceeds to jump out of bed to throw her crust to the ground and stomp on it, and horrific, swiftly-moving damned souls who flit about upstairs, keeping her awake at night. Is someone trying to drive our neurotic heroine mad? The dynamo is much darker than that, and looks ahead to Heath Ledger's The Order. Wait till boyfriend and co-lead Chris Sarandon of the Resurrected Whispers and Dog Day Afternoon, discussing our Al Pacino show, and 1985's Fright Night drops his final revelation. There is so much to love here. I'm surprised fans of films like The Beyond and Roberta Finley's Primeval and Lurkers haven't rediscovered this. A fantastic little novel that resulted in an excellent little film. It's remained a top ten favorite of mine since childhood. I'm back. Hey, back in the New York roof. <laughs> back in the New York roof. Which, you know, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, so I saw this in the theater when it first came out. Oh, nice. The Sentinel and uh, 17, 18, whatever. And I was like, this is very disturbing because I read the book mm-hmm. first. Yep. And then, then I saw the movie, you know, Michael Winner. Okay, you know, I, I saw Death Wish. And 
Yeah, there's a lot being said in retrospect about Michael Winner and his attitude toward women and uh, uh, female actors, actresses. And, you know, I can't speak, I'm not them, but there's, a, there's been a lot of shit written. Uh, a lot also being written about his preponderance for dark stuff, mm -hmm. you know? You know, like, Death Wish is actually a pretty good fucking movie. Mm -hmm. And Death Wish 2, you know, we did a Bronson show. Yes. And, and Death, Death, There's a lot of winter movies he did with Bronson, yeah. Yeah, Death Wish 2 and 3 just get, you know, like, almost like, oh, my God, stop. You know, it's <laughs> not because it's rehashing. They just get brutal and brutal. Yeah. And, and, and what he did with this book, though, is just like, <sighs> Uh, it's probably odd to say, but it's probably one of Michael Winner's best films because yeah. it's so different from much of what he did. And and he took this cast, and what he did, in my eyes, is is he kind of, he took this book, and he updated Rosemary's Baby, mm -hmm. and he threw in a little bit of Polanski's The Tenant. Yes. And he threw in a little bit of, of uh, <laughs> listen, to, hear me out, of some TV soap type shit, mm -hmm. and he kind of mixed it up like like in a cauldron. And so we're watching this thing unfold, and we're like, "What the fuck?" Yes. <laughs> and it gets darker and darker, and actually, it predated The Shining. Mm -hmm. And there is some some imagery imagery that shows up in The Shining. I'm not going to say what, but there there's some things going on here. That they're just really super freakish, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's funny. You you, you got people. Oh, gosh, did I ever? No, I don't think I ever asked. I interviewed Chris Sarandon, mm -hmm. and I don't think I ever asked about this. I'm not even sure what the film he wants to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, some people don't want to talk about things that are too dark in their past. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a very weird film that. Almost in a way, okay, okay, bear with me, folks. Bear with me, Doc. <laughs> uh, it's almost in a way like, uh, remember Dan Curtis's Burnt Offerings? Yes. Okay, so remember how it was very, very matter-of-fact until the point where it started, like, losing its shit? Yep. And it wound up becoming one of Dan Curtis's best films because, like, at some point, it's just like, we're going to go for broke. <laughs> yeah. And, and I felt like the Sentinel just began very slowly and mm -hmm. very, you know, very methodically and had definitely had like a, a Rosemary's Baby feel, but in a way. And, and, and then suddenly it just got so bizarre. Yeah. And, and it had that, what was that very low budget film? Home Buddies. Remember that with the senior citizens killing people? Oh, well, I remember this Frenchman like that called... Uh... Ooh, something of death. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, yeah. That, that, there was an American film. I think it was American. Maybe it was Canadian called Home Buddies. And it was like the seniors like just went apeshit because they didn't want to be like forced out of their homes. And that's not like this movie, but there's just all these little bits of elements in this. And then it just gets darker and darker. Mm -hmm. And and then there's that ending, which is like fucked up. <laughs> and uh, it's like truly one of the dark films of that period that just like, geez. It's funny, a lot of people went to see it because, you know, uh, I think a lot of these people worked on TV and, you know, they, they were very familiar with the names of the cast. Oh, right. Chris Sarandon was just in Lipstick, I think. With, um, oh, yeah. Right. So that was a big hit. 
And so, you know, like a good looking guy, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And, and Christina Reigns was in a couple of things. And so I think there there was a huge interest to see this movie when it opened. And then I think people were just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very effective. It's very freaky. It's probably, you know, we just did the Polanski show and we discussed the tenant quite a bit, quite a bit. And, and this this has elements of that in this, mm-hmm. in, in the feel. I believe. And it's probably an unsung film that I think people really need to take another look at. Yeah. Like you said, you mentioned that. Yeah. Initiation of Sarah, 1978. Still another TV movie. The 70s had quite a few memorable occult and horror-oriented films made for Housewives Midday Entertainment, huh? This one is from TV regular Robert Day, but the cast is once again very notable. Sherry Winters again. Italian cult film standby Tisa Farrow of Zombie, Anthropophagus, The Grim Reaper, and The Last Hunter. Morgan Fairchild of The Seduction, Phantom of the Mall, and Dave Dakota's Test Tube Teens of the Year 2000, which we touched on in our Full Moon Pictures show. Airplane and Starman's Robert Hayes, and the gal I used to have a bit of a thing for, Headhunter, Sanctuary of Fear, and Strip that Kills Kay Lenz in the lead. It's sort of a cross between Carrie and the Devil's Daughter, as Shy put upon lenses harassed and abused by Fairchild's mean girl sorority until she uses her psychic powers to retaliate. The twist being the headmistress Winters knew about her all along and runs a satanic cult seeking to bring her into its fold. Like Satan's School for Girls, but with a far more laid-back vibe, this one's certainly watchable, but even lower on the scale of the many great TV movies of the era. Except for the Denouement, it's downright boring. Well, it's also, you know, Robert Day, the director, also was a guy who came from the black and white Kathy Gale Avengers as well as the Diana Rigg Avengers. He, 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 like, cut his chops directing a lot of those. And he did some of those best episodes there. So some of the more quirkier ones, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, Robert Fust, who did The Devil's Ring, who also worked on The Avengers in his early days. You know, Robert Day, it's funny how these guys wound up working on American TV. It's a ton of them. <laughs> yeah, it's not terrific, but it's got a quirkiness going on. It's very unusual. It's very weird. It's Even though it's, like, late 70s now, it's still has enough of that cast of uh, people that uh, that would bring people out. I, I believe this was collected on, one again, one of those later Mill Creek video collections of, like, horror films or made-for-TV horror films. I wouldn't, you know, as you said, it's, it's not great, but it's worth watching. Yeah, and originally we had a little bit of a broader focus, I guess, and we had talked about doing other films of the era, just to give you an idea of how big this runs, and this is tip of the iceberg stuff. Satanic Rites of Dracula from Hammer, To the Devil of Daughter from Hammer, Mark of the Witch, Death by Invitation, Touch of Satan, Daughters of Satan, Witch's Mountain, and Jaws of Satan, see how many times that comes up. And that's just, again, the tip of the iceberg. There were so many of these movies out there at the time, and TV movies and TV episodes. But I think we covered most of the best of them. You said you wanted to throw something else in, though? Yeah, I did. I did. I wanted to throw something else in, which is which is a bit of a curveball. Mm-hmm. So in the past, not so much in frequent years, we used to cover a lot of uh, Golden Age adult films. Oh, yeah, we did a show or two on that. Quite a few. <laughs> and uh, well, One was dedicated to them. <laughs> and, I, and I've seen a lot of these, folks. I see and so but there was one that always stuck in my mind and uh and that was the devil inside her mm-hmm. it was from 1977 so we're going to end the show with like this weird porno hybrid horror witch satanic cult film so if you allow me sure. so zebedee cult terry hall 
Johnny mm-hmm. Maxwell and Annie Sprinkle and Rod Dumont as the devil are in this film. Didn't they do a great film right before that? Or maybe right after that was an S&M film? Yes, he, and, uh, yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. And Hall. Yeah, with Hall. What the hell was that? The story of Joanna, that was it. Yeah. So this takes place in New England in 1826. So, uh, so you know, they shot it up in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. So here's a really interesting Zebedee Cult was really Edward Earl Marsh. He was born in England in 1929, very active in the uh, 60s cabaret circuit, particularly shows that appealed to a gay clientele. Duh. He also appeared on and off the stage in off-off and off-Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. Later on, he recorded an album, allegedly, with the London Philharmonic Orchestra title. <laughs> I'll sing for you. And it was a love it was an album of love songs for men sung by men or him. Okay. So let's get back to this. This is one strange, fucked up psychedelic cult satanic movie. Mm-hmm. So basically taking place in the uh, mid eighteen early eighteen hundreds, you have a firm family, mm-hmm. uh nubile daughters to uh Zebedee Colt is the father of, of the of the children and uh Satan this uh, Rod Dumont guy who was actually a, a an actor in one of uh off off Broadway shows that Marsh, also known as Des Ebony Colt, was working on. And so, you know, he would just appear out of nowhere, you know, some stage smoke or whatever. Guy was super hung, like Mark Stevens <laughs> and Mr. Ten and a half. Yeah, Mr. Ten and a half. And and so th- but the thing got weird. It's like they used some mixture of, from what I was able to ascertain, Hebrew ritualistic songs as well as Greek Orthodox songs. And he mixed them up for the background music. Mm. And so um, you got this weird kind of soundtrack thing going on. And this guy is flicking his Gene Simmons like tongue <laughs> and his giant member. And he's trying to get these virgin girls to, like, come over to him because he's Satan. And it's just very dark and it's very mysterious. And it's probably one of the darkest occult things I've ever seen. And even though it's an adult film, I was like, what the hell? I, think- I have to say this. For Zebedee Colt as a filmmaker, he was much more talented than Andy Milligan ever was. Oh, yeah. And Andy Milligan, though he didn't go hardcore, Although almost was something he did call Vapors. Mm-hmm. I think Zebedee, aka Edward Marsh, was really knew what he was doing. You know, he's worked in the theater. You know, so did Andy Milligan, but Zebedee was much more, I think, talented. Yeah. So there's some dark stuff going on here, some very nightmarish sequences involving uh, um, uh, the invocation mm-hmm. of of the demon and there's just like this whole thing out of like the x-rated version of uh, devil rides out mm-hmm. toward the climax and it's just pretty crazy also the film was banned for a while and it cut severely because it had things like i guess now it's commonplace like fisting and mm-hmm. and and some stuff I'm not going to go into it, but it's a very dark. It's actually probably, and the reason why I wanted to bring this up, because 77 falls in this time period, right before golden age adult films were actually, they were on that cusp where they were trying to get more linear storylines going, trying to hopefully get more crossover appeal. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the most darker films 
of that period. And it's also one of the most freakiest occult films I've ever seen in any genre. And and, and, and I was like, Jesus, I, I don't want to watch this, but you feel compelled to. <laughs> and, and everybody was like full go. You know, they were just full go for that. And, you know, I, I've read things as recently as like, whatever happened to Rod Dumont? Yeah, you wonder, right? Mm-hmm. Who knows? But uh, very, very interesting. And I wanted to throw that in there. It's like, yes, this thing was all over. This this whole satanic cult thing was reached over to everything. Yes, there were like the vampire, the, the devil's bride, the vampire's kiss, and all these other strange adult films. But this is probably the utmost as far as that reached. Yeah, and there was a batch of these, like, uh, satanically-minded, if not directly satanic uh, rituals and everything, porn films around that time. I don't know what was going on there, but for a couple of years, there were several of them. I think I'd seen the one you're talking about before, uh, maybe on something weird, like a Dragon Art Theater or one of those kind of discs. It could be. It could be. uh, But I believe even that was like a cut version. Suddenly, it's been remastered. Why? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's actually nice to see a better version. You're never going to see yeah, these things were shot, shot, shot in the cheap at a farm in oh, yeah. upstate. You know, it's but he he was good at what he did, and he had a feel, mm-hmm. and and he had a feel for time and place, and he had a feel the director for uh, for missing thing. You know, he had a he had a feel for like the bizarre, mm-hmm. and and yeah, yeah, he 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 did do one of the big fetish movies. He did a few of those fetish movies because it's funny. He's a, he's a, he was a gay actor, director, mm-hmm. but I guess he, he hung around enough with a crowd that um, he knew what was going on. Yeah. So. And speaking of dark films along those lines, wasn't the fellow, I think it's Roger Watkins who did Last House on Dead End Street, he did a porno too, didn't he? Yes. And that was yeah. also very satanically minded because that was the way he went. Oh, that was uh, Corruption, right? It, yeah, corruption? I think it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I had that. Yeah. It may actually be on the one of those discs for uh, where uh, Last House is. Um, I forget, maybe Vinegar Center put it out. I don't know. I do remember seeing it a couple of years back. No, I bought it a few years ago from VS, and I think, yeah, it was a standalone. I, yeah. yeah, I had that. Yeah, it's a pretty weird And movie. I think Last House is a hidden extra that you have to know how to navigate the menu to get. <laughs> It could be, and they put that out again. It's a separate, yeah. too. Well, I know that was out from, like, Umbrella years ago. I got that copy somewhere. But anyway. He appeared at a couple of events I was actually at, and I just didn't really – it's not on my radar. And, yeah. He's, uh, but, uh, he was a yeah. difficult interview anyway from what I saw. They had an interview with him in a car on one of those, maybe the Umbrella disc. I was like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that is our film on satanic cult films of the 70s. If you'd like to contact us here, comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker or musician who'd like to join us on air, drop us a line at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter, of course, at weirdscenes1. We're on Podbean, thirdeyecinema.podbean.com. We're also on iTunes. Just look us up as Third Eye Cinema, Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine Podcast. If you are particularly fetishizing numbers, it's ID. <laughs> Five five three four zero two zero four four. We're also on Spotify and we're on Amazon Podcasts. Again, just search us out through Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine Podcast. Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine brought to you by the new and improved Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Network now on Podbean. So, uh, any last comments you want to make? No, thank you for listening. Um, 
This was a bit of a difficult show to put together, but very fun, very rewarding. And, and you know, a lot of these things we talk about have been forgotten by time. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we both just want to discuss them because, we, you know, we, we want to bring them back into bring them to your attention or for others, bring them back to your memory. Because, uh, you know, if you can't find them, then contact Severin or VS and, you know, like, hey, put these out. <laughs> I'll gladly pay you $60 for this. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be what's going on, especially if you look at the comments and the forums and whatever. It's like, okay, let's put out this one because I missed it last time around. Okay, well, it'd be nice if they put out something new, but whatever. <laughs> I was looking today. I will not say it. Mm-hmm. I was Because uh, I have about six titles I'm interested in, easily. Mm-hmm. And it was like, if you want the slipcover by your like, t- our average artist... <laughs> It's like forty nine fifty. Yep. If you want the standard release, it's thirty nine seventy one. <laughs> That's a problem. We talked about this on one of our last shows. <laughs> we did. Yeah. We did. And we talked about this personally on our own blogs. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I tell you something. Some of these guys are using things not great as artists. Oh, what kind of drugs these guys are on? Oh yeah, I mean if they're not using the poster art or even just a generic like you know sometimes the cheapy discs used to put out a picture of the star if the star's on the cover and just kind of Photoshop that. It's, I didn't like that, but it's still better than some of the shitty art they're putting on these things lately. Yeah, it's like somebody's <laughs> interpretation of what this movie would look like. Yeah, they put on a uh, consignment, you know. And they go like it's great. I'm like, um, yeah. Because you're, you're paying for them. That you know, you're paying them money, is which is why you're paying so much for you know. Yep. They gotta stop doing this shit because I seen some shitty artwork lately. I'm not gonna say who. Yeah. What label? The artwork is like, are you fucking kidding me? I know me? exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you crazy? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh. Yes. Oh, before we go, we lost some big heavyweights, including Paul Sorvino yes. this past week. And David uh, Warner. And David Warner. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's it's something to think about maybe in the future. You know, Paul Sorvino's done some amazing work. So has David Warner. Mm-hmm. I really like Paul Sorvino. And uh, it's funny, I, I watch, don't ask me why, but I watch, rewatch Goodfellas every couple of months. I think that's an amazing Scorsese film. I think it's really good. And they're like, here he comes up in this really supporting role, and like he almost steals the film for the portion of time he's in. Amazing, amazing guy. Yes. I can't comment because I hate Scorsese. You know that, though. <laughs> yeah, but you should watch this movie. Okay. I force you at gunpoint. <laughs> you might have to. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. Yes. We'll be back soon with whatever. Yeah, we haven't figured out which yet. I think we have a couple of things on the list, but who knows? We we do, we do have things that'll be just as exciting as this. Like I mentioned previously, we had a big thing uh, planned for this summer for the last two shows. Actually, this is one of them uh, where we're going to have a special guest that everybody knows, big name. But you know, things didn't pan out. So hopefully, in the future. But uh, that's why we don't have any further plans, because we were putting a lot of effort into that. And that's also why you got the delay. So anyway, here we are. But, but who needs special guests when you have us? That's right. <laughs> that's right. So uh, we will see you again shortly with another bonanza of good stuff. In the meantime, we've got almost 100 episodes out there now. This would probably be like our 88th or something. So enjoy, dig in, 
and uh, we will see you again shortly. We'll be back soon. Enjoy. at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurdum look at the headlines politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you gotta have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery and try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio.
Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without a scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of new age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner, fellow seekers of truth, in this journey towards life. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you, only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell as Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in turn on and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. I found some YouTube tutorials. Mm-hmm. Thank God for YouTube and Google. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I can't say bad, bad words about those things, but I have. When my phone freezes up, when Weird shit happens technologically, and I'm pretty good at tech stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. But when I'm befuddled, I'm like, let me, oh, hey, if you have a problem with it, yeah, yeah, okay. Hey, it worked. Great. All right. So you want to test this? Okay. All right. Go ahead. So, I mean, if, if you want to use this as our closeout like we always do, do you even want to, do you want me just to get rid of this since this was just kind of a, a yeah, let's make it a personal thing. That's it's what too, I thought. It's, it's, it's too, too weird. Yeah, it's, it's too, too weird and personal. Yeah. It's too weird even for weird scenes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, usually there's something there, and i got to drop names out. I drop the identifying details. Like, okay, well, this is all funny or whatever. Amusing story. But this was like, nah, I don't know if I want to use any of this. <laughs> no, no, no. So test. Hopefully it sounds good. I'm sure it will. Okay. Okay. Right. Well, did anybody hear anything? Did anybody say anything? Well, that door was pried open with a chisel. So don't tell me nobody heard nothing! Come on, let's get the hell out of here. Garak! Garak! I only raised for money, partner. How much? Ten bucks. You're on. That's ten your only, partner. I'll claim insanity. You'd have to be crazy to attempt to stuff like that. Yeah, well, I'm getting too old for this shit anyway. Quack, quack! 
I'm sorry, ladies, I can't help you. These are reference books. They can't go out of the library. You reckon he's dead shit? Gotta be. Well, the one thing's for sure, Tom. I ain't volunteering to go out there after that body. Well, I reckon he ain't going anywhere. I'm just the judge. I don't know if I'm going to help me. I'm going to show up this place a rock scorpion can't climb out of here. See on the light? Yeah. Next dynamite I'll put in that all this is foolishness. Remember, head to the devil. Who wants that Who wants that soul? Well, one thing's for sure, Tom. I ain't volunteering to go out there after that body. Roof. <laughs> Which, well, you know, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it wasn't. 